When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 313 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about, you guessed it, intentional and eco-minimalist living. In minimalist circles, we often discuss the importance of putting up barriers to purchasing, right? Make buying harder for yourself so that you don't bring home items that you don't need and will simply be tomorrow's clutter. But in 2022, putting up barriers to online purchases is so darn difficult. And that's precisely because companies know an awful lot about us. They know the websites we peruse. They know how we vote. They know precisely what topics we search for on our favorite search engine. And they certainly know our age, our gender, and in many cases, our location, our geographic location. This means then that the ads that we see on the internet are highly targeted, highly curated for us. And when they're made just for us, it's even harder for us to practice conscious consumerism, isn't it? And so in honor of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, by the way, happy Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Who knew that October we are celebrating cybersecurity awareness? But in honor of this month, we are discussing Well, first of all, we're discussing why we should care about what's happening to our online data. That's number one. We are also discussing practical and easy privacy fixes that we can all enact in about five-ish minutes to limit what companies know about us. Today, I am speaking with Amira Dalla. She is the Director of Impact Partnerships and Programs for Privacy and Security over at Consumer Reports. And Amira is here to just let her wisdom about cybersecurity and data shine down on us. Amira, I am so thrilled to talk to you. How are you? So let's start with the why. I think most of us listening, we know cognitively that we should be aware of the little data breadcrumb trail that we're leaving on the internet. And we should probably take steps to reduce that trail or protect our data. But I'm not sure that people understand the why. Like, why is that important? What are businesses doing with our data? And why should we care about, dare I say, minimizing our online presence? 
so what we're seeing is just a lot more technology in our lives, whether it is products in our home or otherwise. And while they're convenient, they actually often hold a lot of information about us. And here at Consumer Reports, part of what I do and my role is to really bring a lot of awareness as to the harms that they can cause and how we as individuals or consumers in the world can take back that power. Every day, thousands of data points are being shared from each individual around the world. And we are getting thousands of advertisement points as well a day. And companies are eager to collect as much of it as possible so that they could sell it or they keep it for themselves. And what they do is they actually try to take all this data to understand what our behavior is. So they try to predict what we might do when it relates to our behaviors and habits online or anything else. And they try to take all this to then make sure that we come back to their platform, we buy more things, that they can operate that for their own benefit. There's another term that's come up a lot more recently, and it's called either dark patterns or deceptive patterns. Uh, So what we're seeing now is even companies try to trick us into giving away more of this than ever before. And, you know, we see this more often online where it's we're forced to continue in a subscription or if you want to opt out of something, it's really hard to find it. Or as some of us call like the hidden costs that we don't really know or asking for more that's needed or that sort of stuff that I have actually experienced even recently. But data is the new currency. And with all the more stuff we're owning, we are giving away so much of it. We as consumers want to be aware of the control that we have of it and how we are able to control our own behaviors and not have companies do that for us. On this show, we talk a lot about conscious consumerism. And so I'm really particularly interested to hear your thoughts on the data that's collected around the ads we interact with, the items we buy online. Most of us probably are aware that personal data Our personal data can be online, our IP address or our social security number or our home address. But for the purposes of this conversation, I'd love to get into the behavioral data. So let's say a company collects thousands of data points with regard to the ads we interact with, the posts we like online, the items we buy on our favorite e-commerce sites. How does that data translate into being advantageous for the company? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's one that we don't think about often enough. So this is where um, consciously we want consumers and people to understand how this could impact them and actually have either harms or loss of money or other sorts of ways in their lives. There's many ways that companies actually go about this in terms of our behavior. They might do mass amounts of study and data collection on where we're clicking or the wording that's used. It's really small data points that they might then use to target us in different types of ways. And so an example is I'm on LinkedIn often enough. And if anyone's on LinkedIn, you'll see that they constantly ask you to upload your contact list. They want to have access to who you have access to. And you have to actively try to look for the button somewhere that says no. Um, I bought tickets a few weeks ago as a birthday present for someone and they caught me with the last few tickets are here, buy them immediately. And what I did is I acted so quickly, I didn't think about it. Total disclaimer, that event did not sell out in any sort of way. So that was definitely a trick they used. And I bought them so quickly, I accidentally bought the wrong tickets. 
and never got my money back as a result. And so I think part of this is in our own lives, like they're out to take money But also like they are monetizing this behavior. They're monetizing our actions online and what's going to get us to click and do things that are in their own benefits. It's important to recognize and know that these organizations, these companies, they're driven by profit. And so their bottom line is to get you to do the thing that they want to do. All of this data they're collecting, this behavioral data is getting them closer to understanding how to map humans and individuals in these sort of settings to get them to be able to do that thing. And predict my behavior on the internet before I even know what my behavior is going to be, which is, if you really think about it, that's quite scary. And as you were talking there, I was thinking back to the pre-internet age. So when I was a teenager, there was really no internet. And if I wanted to buy something, I went to a store, I paid probably in cash because I didn't have a credit card, right? And so let's say I bought a shirt. I went to a store, paid in cash, and I left. That company, that brand, that store would have zero information on me, right? But these days, because technology is now what it is, data points on the shirts that I click on or the websites that I go to or the shirts that I buy, that goes into a big database on me, on Stephanie Safarian, which then I can't believe this is true, but there are things called data brokers who take my information and sell it. Is that right? Yeah, it's scary. And I think that part of it that's scary is like we're losing control of our own information and it's going to multiple places and multiple parties that are using it and buying it and leveraging it to gain information on maybe it's your demographic, how they spend, maybe it's where you're going or what you're doing. And they're getting really smart. I don't know if this is happening to you, but it's happening to me. The more amount of friends I I have that are like, oh, Instagram ads got me. Like I bought something from an Instagram ad where I feel like years ago that people were like, oh, I don't look at those. And now more recently, people are like, the ads are really appealing to me. And they're really naturally something I'm like, okay, yeah, I think that makes sense. And I'll buy it. And probably like 50% of the time, it's not what they intended to buy, or they wouldn't have bought it at all. Or it's from some tiny little no-name company in a corner of the world that's going to send you the terribly made item (laughs) in four months. I know because it's happened to me as well. But you bring up a good point there. Everybody knows identity theft. That's absolutely terrible. However, also something terrible is the fact that because of targeted ads and these thousands of data points and the selling of people's online breadcrumbs and data, it's making it harder and harder for myself and you and my listeners to practice conscious consumerism because the ads that we're seeing are so perfectly curated exactly for us. Is that right? It is. All that data feeds into a model that is directed at you as an individual that has a high understanding of what you'll do with it. And that probably the more amount of times you're going to see it, the more likely you are to make that purchase. So when I think of like conscious consumers or conscious individuals, we talk about something very often known as threat modeling. Every time we input information somewhere, every time we give more data away, we have to consciously make a decision as to is this worth it? Is the free Wi-Fi, 
in an airport worth me giving them probably the information about where I'm going to surf and what I'm going to do on that Wi-Fi during that time. So we are doing constant modeling in our head to be like, is this going to make the most amount of sense? And is this worth, is the benefits outweighing the cost? And a lot of times we're like, yes, or we're, we're just giving it away because we're like, oh, I want this in this moment. And then consciously, what we have to realize is that that data actually means a lot more than probably what we're getting. Or in the future, it's going to it's gonna come out in a different form where all that data altogether is going to be large sums of information that totally have control in a very different type of way. So I think uh, when we're doing these types of modelings, we're thinking consciously about what we're using and how we're using and the impacts it can have whether it is on ourselves, whether it is on society or communities at large, or I know you look a lot also at the climate and environment, and that's not to go and miss because these large amounts of data and data uses are taking up immense amount of energy in a lot of different ways. Think about all these, either it's the data, the technology, like they need to be stored somewhere. So wherever they're stored takes up a mass amounts of energy that is in fact taking up a lot of carbon emission. I know you've come to our conversation today, Amira, armed with an awful lot of quick tips, quick fixes that you and I and everybody listening can do right now to help minimize our online data. But before we go there, I just have a very novice question for you as somebody who's not an expert in privacy and security. What on earth is a cookie? I see these days that online for many websites, I have to opt into the cookies. And if I don't opt in, I don't get to read what I wanted to read. How do cookies relate to data? Do they relate to data? Oh, they do for sure. I will say though, as a pro tip, when I see those, it gives you usually two options. One is to just accept the cookies to use the site. And the second is to look at your settings. I am the individual who's always looking at the settings because I go in and what I do, and it takes probably two seconds more. But what I do is I actually select what I want to share with them and more often than not send only the minimal cookies that I have to do to use the site. So I opt out of all the other add-ons that they add there and when you accept all. So I do recommend looking at what you're accepting when you do it. And I think that's part of being more conscious online. Uh, but also cookies are in essence like trackers across the site or across your browser or the internet experience or the technology experience. So what they do is they implant cookies on your machine or on your browser, and then they are able to track you and get data from other places you go. Sometimes cookies are really helpful because it, remind, it remembers your passwords, your account info, and that can be really convenient for a lot of people. Uh, so I don't say they're like totally all bad, but in more times than not, it allows a corporation or a company to be able to get a lot more data on you, even after you might leave their site. So, not as yummy as you would think, though. No, it sounds so benign, right? Cookies. Everybody loves cookies. <laughs> it's a trick. It's all part of the tricks that are out there to be like, we want this to be okay and comfortable and something you like. Sometimes we just have to be a little bit more conscious aside for ourselves what those things mean. So I'll be honest, I'm feeling a bit anxious about what we're talking today about today and about what my online data says about me and what nefarious individuals are doing with my data. We're going to take a quick break, Amira, but when we come back, we're going to get into your quick tips. And I know you mentioned earlier logging on to the free Wi-Fi at the airport or in your favorite coffee shop. We're going to start right there. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. 
As the total destination for decor and furniture, HomeThreads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. After a quick word from this week's sponsor. And we are back with Amira Dalla. Amira is the Director of Impact Partnerships and Programs for Privacy and Security. What a long title. You sound so fancy, Amira. On today's show, we are discussing why we should care about our online data in honor of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And we are at that point in the conversation where we're talking about the tips and tricks. So what can you and I do to, without upending our lives, without going conspiracy theory all over the place, what can we do to just protect ourselves a little bit more? And so let's talk about Wi-Fi for a minute, Amira, because I'll be completely honest. I didn't know that if I logged on to free Wi-Fi, I was giving away my life secrets. Tell me more about that. Maybe not all your life <laughs> secrets, but you're giving the place or the Wi-Fi holder permission to do what they would want with the data while you're using their Wi-Fi. And a lot of that lives in the privacies and policies that we often just accept. You're really familiar with the like the pop-ups as soon as you log in and we're just we're auto-clicking accept in those moments. I understand they're long and not made for human consumption. So yeah, I say in that specific example, one of the best tips is to use a VPN, a virtual private network. If you are using and connecting to a lot of free Wi-Fi networks, that is the best process to make sure that your data, your information is given another layer of protection and dismantled for an organization that's trying to capture or gather it. But I will say, given a recent privacy study that we released this month with the Aspen Institute, we are seeing consumers not actually pick up something like VPNs as often as we would like. So that is a tool where it is overwhelming. There's lots of options. We haven't seen much pickup on an individual level, knowing that they need to use these things when they're in sort of different spaces. Um, So that was specific to the Wi-Fi, but there's tons of other tips and tricks to be able to stay safe online. 
I like to always recommend to use a browser that really promotes your safety and has different tracking measures that are more for consumers than for a corporation. Uh, I know that Google Chrome is one of the most popular browsers online, and I often have to use it too because I use Google Meets often, and it just works better there. Other browsers like Firefox or, or Brave are on the market, and they really do put people first in terms of privacy protections. I use DuckDuckGo as a search engine. I really like my experiences with Firefox and DuckDuckGo specifically. And I will say they, unlike Google Chrome, feeds all their feed, their data back to Google, which then uses that across all their platforms. So they don't do as much of the data optimization there and they actually prevent sites potentially from tracking you online like they would on other sorts of places like Google Chrome. Uh, a second tip I give is often clean up your accounts. There's accounts like Google or Facebook or social platforms that you use that keep long histories of your data. You can go on to those and change the settings whenever you want to be like, only keep my data for three months or nine months or 18 months. But right now they keep it forever because then they use all of it forever. So you can definitely do that as well. Uh, another tip is to update your accounts. That gives you added security if anything does happen, but also to change your privacy and security settings. So whether it's like a mobile device or it's a platform online, going into the settings to actually adjust them so that they are for you is really important because you can change a lot of that within that, like how much they track you, where they send you, what they do with your data, if they use it for marketing and advertising purposes. So many apps right now actually have in their settings that I'm allowed to take your data and use it for marketing and advertising. And at the end of the day, like they don't actually turn that on by default because it benefits them. But they have those options in there for you to go turn on yourself. And then one of my favorite ones that I like to remind people of is just to delete old accounts. You, Stephanie, you in particular on your site and your blog, you talk a lot about like carbon footprint. What is our footprints in places? And whenever I think about that, I also think about digital footprint. So like the internet is like a graveyard of places we've been and our data is just still living on there and it's actually being used by the companies even long after we're gone. And so instead of, and we're very eager and excited and I get it to continuously open new accounts, sign up for the new fad or whatever it is platform we're on, but we're very less likely to go back in and delete those and reclaim our data and take them off. And that's one of the things when it comes to how we live digitally and where that footprint is and all that information on you, that's a chance to take back some of those places. Okay, Amira, I have okay, so many it. questions. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the first is, let's just go with Facebook as the example. I know that you can go into Facebook and if you want to go down the rabbit hole of the data they have on you, you can manually delete like one by one. There, what's the word? I don't know. They have like maybe 20 adjectives to describe me. And then those adjectives, I see ads that match them. And so I can delete that. Is that a good use of my time? That's one question. And question number two is, if I just deleted my accounts completely, would that also get rid of all my data that Facebook has collected on me over the, I don't know, 20 years that I've been on the platform? Yeah, those are really good questions. And like anyone in this space, I'll probably add a disclaimer that because of our lax privacy and data laws, we don't entirely know all the time what these companies are going to do or are doing because there is no transparency in a lot of the ways they handle this data or what they do with it 
or how long they keep it. So I won't have the perfect answers to some of those, but I will say, and that is part of the problem. If someone like myself does not have like answers that I can give you off the bat, we know the system's a little bit broken. Uh, but yeah, I think it is a really good use of someone's time. I've gone into Facebook myself and I've deleted a lot of posts and it is timely. And so what I'll do is I'll take off my pictures, I'll store them on a hard drive. And then I delete things that I'm like, this doesn't, doesn't even feel like me anymore. It doesn't resonate. And so you can claim back and delete that data and take it off entirely on there. Uh, but Facebook also stores their own data about you. And so it's not just about what you've posted. It's what Facebook has on you. And so you can go into your settings and change the data that Facebook has by deleting that data. And I'm wondering if that will change the ads I see, because to be completely frank, the ads that I see on Facebook and Instagram are so perfectly tailored to me. It takes a lot of the power away from me as I desire to become more of a conscious consumer, right? Because (laughs) it's like, I think about a billboard on the side of the road, old school billboards, you know, you drive by and the billboard stays the same. Maybe you care, maybe you don't. But these days on the internet, the billboard, the advertisement changes (laughs) depending on who's scrolling by. And it is so perfectly curated for each and every one of us. So if I go in there and I take the time and I delete all that information, will it reset the ads that I see or no? It probably won't at this point, but it can take back some of that data so that it changes. And I love that you brought this up because at a low point, some people don't think about these ads and are just like, yeah, that's okay. I don't mind being served them. But I often think about like the harms in which some of these ads can have for people and communities. And one example that comes to mind right now is specifically for women identifying individuals who are going through fertility or issues like miscarriages or others and are getting served ads for baby products or have yet to disclose information around having a baby and they're seeing ads publicly or someone else on their computer is. These are real points in our life that are our choices to make and the impacts that can have on our emotional well state or just like how others are informed or see or experience it through us. My main thing online is always to confuse the person who, or confuse the algorithm or the technology to not really know who I am by throwing in all different sorts of information because that means they get to know me less. They have less information on me and like none of it adds up on their side. And so I feel like there can be real benefits to that. I absolutely love that tip. And I'll be honest, I didn't expect you to say that, but that speaks to me as one of the world's most subversive individuals. Like I would love to screw with my own (laughs) data. It's so fun. And we, one of our researchers at Consumer Reports has done large amounts of articles about how you can actually change the ads that you see online by like messing with the data all completely. And I think so much of the conversation so far is we're controlled. We don't want to be controlled, but part of it can be really fun. Can we talk about GPS tracking for a minute? Because it seems like every app on my phone wants to track me via GPS, and I don't know why. So talk to me about, first of all, why they want that information, these apps, and why I should not allow them to track me. Yeah, apps are always wanting to know your location because then they can pinpoint the area in which you're doing the thing. So if you are seeing an ad that's priming you on your way to Ikea, I'm throwing out so many different examples here. I don't actually always do these things. But if you're getting a furniture ad 
as they pinpoint you near an Ikea, they're like, this is a prime placement where they know you are most susceptible or vulnerable to it. They also know there's moments in your life and locations where you are going to be more apt to seeing that ad to using it. The more likely you see something, the more likely it is you buy the thing. So you'll, so this happens on radio or TV or others. If something just keeps coming up, you want to zone it out. The, it actually does have an impact on you and your behaviors and your thought process. So my biggest tip is to take back that location control because a lot of the times you just don't need it. And if you do on like a, a maps app on your phone, you can often even just limit it to allow location access while you are in the platform or the app. So that's really critical. And as a iPhone user, I go into my settings all the time because that is how I'm a conscious consumer of my apps. But I go in and I adjust the settings. And in that, I've been able to uncheck check the apps of location data where I'm like, it makes no sense that my bank has access to my location. I can just turn that off. So if you are an iPhone user, you just go into your settings and then you actually have to go app by app to actually be able to go manually in and change whether it has access to, you can do other things, your microphone, your pictures, your location. Uh, and that's where that kind of threat modeling comes into place because you're like, what do I need it to do? What do I want it to do? And what does it absolutely do not need to do? So you just go in and you actually adjust that to fix for your location. Yeah, I'm thinking back to my 1990s buying a shirt at the mall example, <laughs> paying with cash, right? So I did the transaction, I purchased the shirt, I went on my very merry way. That store does not need to know three Tuesdays from now where I am. Giving away that information does not benefit me by any stretch of the imagination. And so one more question for you, Amira, has to do with an ounce of prevention. You had mentioned earlier apps, maybe not signing up for all the apps, the newest and the greatest. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the cost to benefit ratio associated with just simply saying no at the outset, not signing up, not downloading the latest thing, just like maybe at the outset, preventing unnecessary data loss by choosing to opt out. What are, what are your thoughts on that? To me, that relates to a large conversation on mental wellness. I think that has impacts for us online. Like the more we consciously think about these things, the more we protect ourselves, the more comfortable and safe we are, but the more secure we are. So that's really important for us to do on an actual logistical level. But then I also consciously think about all these technologies surrounding us and their impact on us as individuals. We are consumers of the internet, we are consumers shopping online and doing all these social networking, information, work, talking on videos, prime example. There's so much we do online. And I think about the impacts that has on our climate, on our world, on our society. And so I think these things are all super interrelated as to our well-being. I think part of that cost-benefit analysis is somewhat focused on, do we need this thing? Do we need more ways to interact with others? What are we getting from it? And where can we probably reduce some of this? Yeah, you made a really great connection to minimalism there, right? Asking yourself, do I need this new physical item? <laughs> yes or no. Now, in this conversation, what we're discussing is, do I need this digital 
thing, <laughs> this digital app, this go to this website. And so the principles remain the same. Asking yourself, is this truly going to add to my life or not? And I think too, in many regards, like the internet is still new. New platforms are coming out. A new I remember what was it the other a couple years ago? It'll come to me, but everybody jumped over to the new social media platform and then it went kaputs <laughs> and we all just jumped over because everybody else was doing it. And so the internet offers so many opportunities for us to go chase the new and shiny thing, for lack of a better word, but it is at the end of the day coming back and saying, is this going to add to my life or not? For any listeners who are tuning in right now and they want to go deeper, do you have any resources for them to make the most out of Cybersecurity Awareness Month? Yes, I do. There is a really exciting platform that I and a team work on called Security Planner. You can find it at securityplanner.org. Uh, and what you can do is go onto it and it's a free customizable tool to get resources on how to stay safe online or how to do things like lock down your social media accounts, like we mentioned, and delete the data on there, or the new baby monitor you're getting in your home, how to make sure you're protecting yourself and changing your permissions on that. There's a whirlwind of information in there that any individual can do and use. And so you just go on the site, you fill out a few questions, and you get this customized plan that's backed by a whole group of experts that we work with, security experts, who are telling us and working with us on the latest evolutions of security and privacy to make sure that we're providing the most up-to-date information. Awesome. I'm going there right after we hang up. Um, and by the way, the social media site that I couldn't remember about five minutes ago was Clubhouse. Is anybody oh my, still on I Clubhouse? Clubhouse. I went on to Clubhouse. I was definitely in that group, but now I don't use Clubhouse. Me too. I got to delete that app. Thank you so much, Amira. This was so much fun. And more importantly, I learned an awful lot and I know my listeners did too. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. And this was a lot of fun for me as well. It's exciting to share and also just empower people to be able to have more control in these areas. Listeners, that's a wrap. I've linked to everything we've discussed today in the show notes, mamaminimalist.com forward slash 313. I will be back on Thursday where we are talking about grind culture. I will see you then. Reach out if you need me and take care.